The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Thank you so much for joining us on another program, Afternoons with Mike, heard at this time around the Shepherd Radio Network. On the line with me from the beautiful D.C. area, David Clausen is with the Family Research Council. David has been on my program a number of times. He gives direction to the Center for Biblical Worldview at FRC. He works with a lot of names that you would know and recognize. And uh, we've had him on, um, like I said, several times before. And each time we've mentioned something that I'm going to throw out there again. David is a Central Floridian. He actually grew up in the Orlando area and went to school here. And uh, boy, I think you got your undergraduate, as I recall, at UCF, right? I did, Mike. So go Knights, heartbreaking loss uh, this past weekend to the Sooners. Uh, oh. that showed uh, that with the our quarterback Plumley back, uh, UCF, better days are ahead. That's right. I mean, when you're up against that team, and it's a, it's a heartbreaker, like you said, two-point loss, and a big loss at that, what, 41 to, was it 41 to 39? I think that's right, yeah. And on, on the road, number six team in the country. So uh, you're right, I still uh, bleed black and gold, even though I'm now living in D.C., and uh, uh, always enjoy to be on the program to uh, be able to talk about these important things uh, on the airwaves there in Orlando in the 407. Well, I know we've got not only Orlando, but we're up in Gainesville and Ocala and the villages. And so your word is going to be going out all throughout this area. <laughs> and we're so grateful to have you on. And uh, just the uh, the wonderful thing that we have with these relationships, like you said, even though you're up in the D.C. area, I know you still have family here. You still have many connections here, and it is just wonderful to reconnect with you and to hear what's going on at FRC. And my goodness, everything that you guys are doing, it's so important. I know I've been following some of the prayer meetings that's been going on. And we're going to get to your thoughts and your viewpoints and how FRC is reaching out and praying for Israel during this time. Mm. We'll get to that in a moment. First thing I wanted to ask you about, last time we had you on, we were talking about the book that you had written and it came out. And uh, I, that thing is just going well for you, isn't it? It is, yeah. So I was uh, honored to co-author a book uh, titled Male and Female, He Created Them, which is an eight-week Bible study uh, published by Christian Focus on gender, sexuality, and marriage. Um, It it looks at questions related to transgenderism and intersex and homosexuality and marriage, and that's been out now for a few months now. And uh, the feedback that we're getting from uh, churches specifically, churches really all over the country that are using it on a Wednesday night for their study or kind of a Sunday night study um, ha- has been very encouraging. Well, I guess it's a topic that is, you know, we hear the phrase hot button topic. I don't think there's a hotter button right now than that one. This whole issue of gender, the transgender, uh, the Biden administration seemingly early on, uh, at least through their actions, 
made this thing to be one of the most important things, not only in America, but the world, according to them. And so many things were, were just, not just even being asked to believe, we're being asked to celebrate. We're being at, it's almost like it's being crammed down everyone's throat, whether they want to go there or not. So parents, and I'm glad to see so many people in the news lately have been pushing back on this thing, not just parents, but a lot of other uh, well-spoken individuals from all walks of life are, are coming out and saying, hey, not so fast on all this stuff. There's another thing to consider. And I'm really grateful for that, right? Well, I am too. Even people that do not come at it from a biblical worldview. So obviously as Christians on the gender issue, you know, we have Genesis one twenty six on the first page of our Bibles that tell us uh, that in creation on the sixth day, God created male and female in his image. Yeah, you have the, the so-called gender binary right there on the, the That's first. That's right, yeah page of the Bible, but even people who have no real respect for the Bible. So I'm thinking right now of the evolutionary biologist, Richard Dawkins, uh, you know, an avowed atheist who, again, once again, is no friend of Christians. He's actually come under fire in recent weeks because, uh, again, he, he he's a scientist and he's made comments. Well, there are only two sexes. You have male and female and that this kind of transgender revolution, so to speak, uh, he has seen that as wreaking horrible uh, harm uh, for children and for English society. And so, again, you you even have now, Mike, uh, people who are not with us on most issues, even the most fundamental issues, uh, realizing that this the gender revolution has really gone too far. And, and so I'm hoping uh, that we're in the midst of seeing a backlash on some of the moral insanity uh, that the the – LGBT emphasis on the T uh, revolution has really unleashed on society. You know, and we can expect even further uh, deviations of this. I mean, that's the whole thing. It started off just being uh, the gay movement. Then it went to LG and then LGB, then LGBT, and then they add the Q. And now they just are adding plus signs and it is so amazing to me to wonder where in the world they're going to be on their approach in, in just, let's say, a couple of years, because it has been changing from that standpoint at the speed of light the last couple of years. And it, and it is uh, so troubling, I know, to parents whose kids are exposed in ways that they're not even aware of. And then we hear all these horrible stories, David, about teachers in schools who have really been acting uh, badly behind the parents' back, allowing their kids to do uh, steps of transition without their knowing it, without even being discussed. Um, this whole thing is a very troubling issue. Well, it is. And I think one of the reasons we're seeing such kind of a backlash against it is because it really intersects with so many other aspects of society and culture. So, you know, you have the issue with locker rooms and changing facilities and now sports teams. And so I think that's, it's fundamentally unfair with some of these issues where again, even non-Christian parents are saying, well, I don't think it's fair that someone who's gone through puberty, a biological male should be able to compete on the sports team that my daughter and my granddaughter play on. And so, again, I, I think we're, we're seeing this 
in, in so many areas, even this issue with surgeries, you have a number, it's up to 21 or 22 states now uh, that have said it's illegal in our state to get these cross-sex hormones mm-hmm. um, or irreversible surgeries on minor children because, and the reason these laws are necessary is because you have these quack doctors who are willing to do these kinds of things which irreparably harm children. And again, praise God that we're seeing a lot of uh, what we're calling detransitioners, uh, those who were subjected to some of these treatments as children uh, a couple years later are now saying, uh, this should never have happened to me. I think of Chloe Cole from California, who's now suing the doctors who did these surgeries on her because um, she's never going to be able to have biological children now. Her voice has been altered irreparably. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and so again, and she this, went through a mutilation surgery then. She did, and I, and I think, and there are others like her. So again, I think what we're hopefully seeing is that, that the the transgender movement has way overreached. And uh, society, I think, is catching up to areas where this overreach has happened. And again, hopefully we'll see some course correction. Now, again, as Christians, uh, we, we have even more fundamental reasons, uh, theological and biblical reasons for opposing this. But if all truth is God's truth, we would expect science and philosophy uh, to align with our theological convictions. And so I, I think all of this is part of the conversation, the way that Christians uh, should look at these issues. and. Uh, to the book that you mentioned, this is one of the reasons we wrote the book was to equip Christian parents, grandparents, and pastors uh, to address these issues in the context of their local communities and local congregations. From your standpoint and with the research and the reading that you've done on this, David, what would be step one for parents who have kids, let's say they're in a, a public high school, what is the first step that a parent should be taking to make sure they their kid is where they think they are, and maybe it's maybe that is the first step. And wondering if if the child is where they think they are. But from your standpoint, what's the first action step? I think the first action step, first and foremost, uh, uh, for especially a Christian parent or grandparent, you know, Deuteronomy six says that the chief deci- the chief responsibility of a parent is discipleship of their children, and so I think. Uh, keeping an open dialogue with your child, uh, asking them what they're learning in school, taking a proactive approach, uh, going to the teacher-parent meetings, looking at homework, looking at assignments, um, being engaged um, with your child's education. Do you realize this, Mike, that between the uh, K through 12th grades, you will spend 16,000 hours in a classroom, mm. uh, 16,000 hours, and the discipleship and catech- catechesis that takes place is very difficult to undo in just one hour every Sunday in a Sunday school class, or if you're lucky, maybe another hour on a Wednesday night youth group. And so the first step, again, is for the Christian parent to be aware that's going on and where this stuff is happening, where you have these school districts that are you know, moving full speed with the moral revolution. You need to look for alternative uh, options, I would argue, uh, because it's so di- you, you can't. It's difficult for the parent and the grandparent and the youth pastor to undo these sixteen thousand hours of indoctrination over the thirteen years when your worldview is being developed. You know, one thing I hear on on that point, to your point about those sixteen thousand hours, a lot of parents will hold on to a belief that their school is the exception. 
their public school is not doing that. And I've had teachers tell me that while it it may be true that not every one of the schools are teaching the exact same method or the exact same uh, curriculum, but they would believe, the people that I've talked with would still say there are vestiges of it, there's parts of that that is in there, and it may not be uh, blatantly being taught, but it's still in there. Would you th- would you think that's right? I do, and, and I think that's, again, I'm, I'm never going to be one to say that there's a lot of debates between public school and private school and home school. And so I think each parent has to make the decision that's best for their situation in life and what's best for their individual child. Um, But I think we are increasingly naive if we think that government schools are presenting a neutral worldview when in fact no such thing exists. There, There is always going to be a point of view that is being pushed. And so I think Again, having open conversations with your child, uh, going to the school board meetings. Uh, If you're able, one of the things that Family Research Council does is we actually put on a boot camp for people to uh, run for school board. Um, And we provide a training for that. You can see that on the FRC Action website, actually. And so if uh, local control uh, of these schools is so important and so, you know, Christians need to be showing up at all places. And so mm-hmm. I would say that is, is a key part of this discussion. You know, we have a mom here in Central Florida that did just exactly that. They uh, just had enough of it and got involved and ran and won a school board position. And I think she's making some big waves in the right direction, as opposed to what we hear about. Uh, I've often mentioned Loudoun, Virginia. That really was a, a uh, kind of like a a, a low water mark, maybe for a lot of parents up there, that they felt like, okay, it's it's gone as far down now, in the morals department, in the the stuff that's going on, that they sprung to action, and what a difference that that brought, like a tidal wave of change, didn't it? Oh, absolutely, and, and I think you know, we, we, what's what's the adage we always use, usually when referring to maybe like national level or federal elections, we say, you know, elections have consequences. Yeah, right. And that really is true at every single level. Of course, elections have consequences at the federal level when you're thinking about appointments to the federal judiciary or ambassadors that represent America's values uh, abroad. But the same is true at the state level. Um, elections have consequences on who's appointed to uh, really significant places. Um, in the state of Florida, for example, or even at the local level, uh, elections have consequences because, you know, whether you like it or not, uh, the government has its tentacles on so many aspects of our life that affect basic rights and liberties. Um, and so, again, this is one of the reasons, one of the very first things I ever wrote for FRC going back to 2018 was an article that kind of talked about why Christians should be involved in politics mm-hmm. because elections have consequences and we engage Primarily, I would argue, because of the second great commandment well, that Jesus said, you know, the love of neighbor. You know, the first great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so one way of holistically loving your neighbor is engaging in this area that affects basic rights, liberties, opportunities. Now, you mentioned something earlier, and I I heard it, and I use this word all the time, worldview. And that's even part of your working title there at FRC, 
You're the director of the biblical worldview. And yet I wonder if there is a possibility that a lot of people, when they hear that, they're still confused as to the implications of how important it is for them to have a biblical worldview. Can you kind of speak to that for a moment? Oh, absolutely. So a, a worldview, everyone has one. A worldview is just simply the lens through which you look at the world. Um, a, a worldview basically can consist of the most fundamental assumptions you have about what is right and wrong, what is true, what is false. Um, I think George Barna, he would describe it as the emotional, uh, uh, religious, philosophical lens through which you look out at the world and interpret the world and then respond to the world. So again, everyone has a worldview that fundamental perspective uh, that they engage the world through. Mm -hmm. And as Christians, our worldview should primarily be influenced by the Bible, by God's Word. Uh, One way that I've put it in writing elsewhere, Mike, is that I said every worldview, every philosophy of life, every religion has to really answer four basic questions. Uh, Number one, why is there something rather than nothing? Uh, Number two, what's gone wrong in the world? Uh, Number three, is there any hope? And number four, kind of where is everything headed? And so Christianity, uh, a biblical worldview, answered those four questions with really the meta narrative of Scripture: mm-hmm. creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You know, why is there something rather than nothing? Well, Genesis one and two explains that. What's gone wrong in the world? Well, the fall of man into sin—a literal Adam and Eve who uh, actually rebelled against God. Uh, that's Genesis three. That's the fall, and then. It does Christ, what's, what's Christianity's hope for the world? Well, the hope, it's a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ, that, the message of the gospel. Uh, the word gospel, you hear it all the time in churches. The word gospel literally means good news. It's the good news that sinful men and women can be reconciled to a holy God by repenting of their sins and turning in faith to Jesus Christ. And then that last question, where's everything headed? Well, ultimately it's headed to, to a new heavens and a new earth. Right. And so as Christians... Those that meta narrative, that's uh, just a big fancy theological word, just meaning that storyline of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, that ought to inform and influence uh, the way we engage on every single issue. And if I can just give you one specific instance of that, Mike, so even like on the question of abortion, one of the reasons Christians would oppose abortion um, is because we understand, going back to Genesis 1 and 2, that every single person, born and unborn, is made in God's image and has inherent value and dignity. So that's just one example of how like a biblical worldview kind of informs how we think about very practical issues. Oh, that's so good. Uh, It is a situation, friends, today on my program where Mr. Clausen went to Washington. And that's exactly what happened. David Clausen, my guest today, a Central Floridian working as the director of the Biblical Worldview for the Family Research Council That's FRC. We hear about that in the news all the time. Quoted on major sources, not just Christian either. All of the secular uh, sources are also from time to time talking about this great organization. He's our guest today. We'll be back with David in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top train comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. 
an evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. My guest today is David Clausen. He is the director of the, the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council. And David, again, a Central Floridian, loves this area, has family down here. We're just honored to be able to spend time with him from time to time. Got to meet him face to face in May of this year at the NRB. And that was a lot of fun, my friend. That was, that was a fantastic event. Um, been to a, been to a couple of them, you know, they've had it in Dallas at Nashville yeah. and this year having it in Orlando, uh, was, uh, extra special, obviously. Now every other year it goes back to their home base in Nashville and that's where it will be in February this coming year. And I hope to see you there, man. That's going to be a great time. Uh, always is a great time to connect with people and kind of uh, put the finger to the pulse as to what's going on and what are the responses to all the stuff that's going on. Now, we, uh, no one, I'm sure, is uh, unaware of all that is going on regarding Israel. And every day there seems to be a new thing happening. One of the things that I love about FRC, and Tony does such a great job of getting leaders from all over the country to gather together on these phone calls and video calls for prayer. And that's been going on. And what, from your standpoint, what uh, what's happening in our American responses to what's going on in Israel right now? Yeah, great question, Mike. And this is something that's near and dear to me because I've actually been to Israel nine times. Wow. Uh, which has been an amazing opportunity to lead Christian tours so done preaching kind of all over Jerusalem and at different sites and whatnot. And so I have friends over there, you know, tour guides that we've worked with. And so obviously this is uh, near and dear to my heart. And I'll just say, you know, I am a very uh, uh, outspoken, strong social conservative. And I've spared uh, no words when it comes to describing how I think President Biden and his administration has, you know, just been pushing policies uh, that are harmful to the nation. Um, from my perspective, uh, President Biden has uh, done exactly what you would hope an American president would do yes, that, that uh, would in this true. situation. Um, and we got to give him that. Oh, absolutely. Flying to Israel last week uh, as Israel is at war with Hamas, uh, that was bold. Uh, that was strong. Um, it, you know, responding to the prime minister's invitation to come there. Uh, I think every American uh, should be grateful for President Biden's uh, response. Uh, he has made it even to the chagrin of many people in his own party on the more left flank. Uh, President Biden has made it clear that America stands uh, with our ally. And think of the, the sending two carrier groups now to the mm -hmm. Mediterranean. You have those, and that's sending a very clear signal uh, to Hezbollah, uh, which is the Iranian Iranian-backed group in Lebanon, as well as a message to Iran itself that you better not even think about it uh, as far as getting engaged with 
um, this conflict right now uh, dealing with Hamas, because if you do, uh, Israel has the complete and full backing of the United States. And so, again, uh, grateful uh, that America has stepped up to support our our best ally uh, in the region at, the, at this important juncture. It, it is certainly an important thing that he's done. And I think it says a lot, doesn't it, about kind of the condition of our country when you've got these the, what's are called the squad members uh, that are so not only pro-Democrat, I would like to say I don't really think my grandfather, who was a Democrat, I don't think he would say they're Democrat. I think he would say they're communist. He would say that's what his words would have been because they're progressive uh, Marxism that is going on right now in the name of the Democratic Party in many fronts. Not everybody. I want to make that clear. Not everybody. But there is that faction. And the fact that President Biden, for doing what he did, making that uh, I, I agree. We have to give him that, uh, that, uh, the, the cred for that because he made that decision. He did it. He put his own life in peril, uh, to some degree anyway, by going and then to face the kind of criticism that he did for backing up our ally in Israel. It really just goes to show how far to the left they've gone. Oh, it does. And I, I think, um, again, credit where credit is due that in his speech uh last friday so just a couple of days ago uh the 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 president just spoke and he and i gotta appreciate this uh speaking in moral terms calling what hamas has done is sheer evil Mm -hmm. uh, because it is sheer evil when you're talking about the decapitation of children and 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 the kidnapping Uh, it, it is sheer evil speaking in those moral terms um, so again, credit where credit is due. It, it is troubling, though, when you have uh, duly elected members of Congress, such as Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib from Michigan, who, you know, a uh, couple of days ago when the, the hospital um, in the Gaza Strip was uh, – the, the missile yeah, hit it, it hit and it, yeah. was immediately blasting – you know, peddling false information, fake news that that was, a, you know, a, an attack from the IDF. And even when confronted with American intelligence uh, that that indeed did not happen, that it was an errant rocket from another Islamist group, uh, that congresswoman has doubled down, um, you know, c- blaming Isra- Israelis. So, uh, th- but let's let's be clear: that is a, a, a minority position, and Republicans and Democrats alike here in D.C. for the most part, a uh, vast majority, have been unequivocal. And looking at this situation and uh, applying the right moral calculus uh, that not only is Hamas doing something that, again, the president called sheer evil, but that Israel has not just the right but the obligation Mm -hmm. uh, to respond and and to respond strongly and to respond in a way uh, that eradicates Hamas uh, out of the Gaza Strip because there can – I think we realize coexistence between Hamas – and Israel uh, is impossible at this point. And the fact that the American government is uh, supporting publicly uh, the Israeli government's uh, what looks like will be a land invasion soon, uh, I think that is a good development and something I'm grateful for. Do you think there is a plausible possibility that uh, 
The reason they haven't initiated that ground assault yet is because the U.S., as one person said, the U.S. has been appealing for them not to do that. Is there a chance of that? I think the the greater I, I think what you know President Biden has said a couple of times now is he is asking tough questions that you would ask any friend, but he's not uh, at least publicly he said this he's not telling them uh, what to do strategy wise. In my view, I think um, one of the reasons you know something like this takes a great deal of planning, but you also have to realize there's the issue of hostages, and so mm-hmm. you know Hamas did release the two American women uh, recently. But I, I think that's another issue uh, that is trying to be handled right now, um, this issue of hostage, hostages, which is something that we as Christians uh, should have on the very forefront of our minds as we're praying for this, praying for those people who are being held against their will um, yeah, by an organization yeah. that does not abide by any sort of international norms. No, they have broken every rule of war that was ever put out in any sense of the, uh, the the beginnings of that kind of a term. I mean, that is in itself is an odd thing for me uh, to to get that there are rules of war, rules of engagement, but there historically are, and they break every one of them, like you said, when they are going into homes and terrorizing. This is not war for them. This is pure terror. And they're going in and decapitating children, uh, killing people, and recording it on their own cell phones, and then sending that video out to the people on their contact list. These are things, they're animalistic, they're horrible, they're beyond words, beyond comprehension. And I agree, I think that, and and only to be told then by one leader that let's try diplomacy, Uh, how can you have diplomacy with someone who's done that. That that doesn't work. So it, it is going to take just that, the rightful fighting back to uh, obliterate that cause. And, you know, a lot of people, too, don't realize just how big of a job that is. The Gaza Strip may be a small part of Israel, but there are a couple of hundred thousand people living in the Gaza City only uh, only alone. I mean, it's it's amazing how many hundreds of thousands there are there. It's very true. And again, this speaks to the issue. I think, you know, it's been said that, you know, it's the Palestinian people who are just as much victims here. And it's true because Hamas hides behind human shields mm-hmm. intentionally. They, they they place their rocket launchers on top of hospitals, mosques and schools. And so then when inevitably Israel has to respond, guess what? You get you get civilian casualties at hospitals and mosques and schools, and it's just atrocious to see a, a, a terrorist organization, again, um, use the Palestinian people as human shields. Um, but this, this is one of the reasons this is such an intractable issue because you know, it's, it's hard to see a way out um, of something like this. But I think, again, as Christians, we need to be praying for wisdom and discernment for the Israelis, for their allies. Um, but you know what? Another thing I'll add is that the Christian worldview uh, does, does give us the terms to describe this, mm. um, which is uh, the depravity of the human heart. That's um, right. This is, again, the things you just described, Mike. Uh, the Christian worldview is uniquely equipped uh, to describe these things in moral terms. Uh, you know, a lot of people today don't even believe in that there are such things as absolute moral truths. 
that there are truths that apply to all people at all times. Well, the Christian worldview says there are truths, and we can speak. You know, Evil is not just something we don't like or something we don't prefer. We believe there is something objectively good and objectively evil, and a Christian worldview gives us those terms with which we can accurately describe the world and the things that are happening around us. That's right. And not only that, we are introduced to the source of those terms, which is God's Word, the Bible. And we, by that, know how God feels about this. And so it really does inform us to understand that uh, a viewpoint that is based on the Bible. When we look at these world events like that, really, it really helps to inform. And we're using the right terms, the, the terms that are really going to count, not only now, but in eternity. And that is a major thing. And I know how exciting that must be for you, David, because this has been the course of your study. This is what you're doing. It's, it's your very job description is to be at the center of, of the biblical worldview of everything that is going on in this world today. That's pretty cool. It is. And I think one of the things I've been so grateful for, we mentioned in the last segment, how the male and female book is doing so well. And uh, other projects that I'm working on, or we've put out uh, one booklet I have out now actually compares uh, the Christian worldview with a couple of other worldviews. I compare uh, biblical Christianity with Islam, pantheism, atheism, wow. and postmodernism. Um, just kind of objectively walk through those worldviews, and then at the end, uh, kind of give some reasons for why a biblical worldview is the most persuasive. By the way, if anyone listening would be interested in something like that, you can access that resource for free on our site, frc.org slash worldview. Uh, just scroll down, and it's called Introduction to Worldview. Um, but I think these and, – and that booklet's doing really well too, which is really neat. A couple thousand copies have gone out uh, just in a couple of weeks. So I think it shows me at least uh, that especially Christians are desiring to think deeply. They're, they're wanting to think beyond just you know bible stories but they want to go deeper uh, to how god's word actually speaks to these uh issues that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis you know there's a scene from uh, the movie national treasure that i've always enjoyed that scene and that's where nicholas cage who's playing the role of the of the treasure hunter finds these spectacles that uh, were apparently created by Benjamin Franklin, according to the movie. And with them are lenses that you can move in and move away from your eyes and put them in your line of vision. I think what a great metaphor that is, and that is exactly what the Word of God gives us. It gives us the ability to look out into this world and to have the right lens in order to look out and to see it correctly, and in sometimes to see what you would not otherwise see. And I think that's an important part of biblical worldview, right? Oh, it is. And so it's funny that you mentioned that, Mike. So actually the cover photo that I chose uh, for my new little booklet on worldview is a picture of a glasses uh, kind of superimposed on a city, and you, you're looking at the city through the glasses. Oh. And because that that's what a worldview is. Uh, it's it's the lens. So mm-hmm. if you think of a set of glasses or a pair of contact lenses, your worldview is what you look out through. Um, and I would argue just the, the biblical worldview is the right prescription, so to speak. <laughs> That's right. It's the most effective and it's the most uh, recommended by God. There you go. <laughs> Amen. I love that. Well, this is an exciting thing to hear you talk about 
not only what should be our response, uh, the, politically speaking, and, and I'm grateful, like you said, that President Biden has made the moves that he's made in, in defending it. He stood up against the back, uh, uh, pushback from his own party. Uh, but uh, the, the greatest response, and this again is what uh, Tony and everyone at FRC is doing, and that is prayer. That is something that we know that if we can uh, go back to that uh, Second Chronicles passage, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. And what a wonderful thing it is. Uh, you talk about a, a, the right worldview is to say my first responsibility, my first need is to go to the Lord in prayer and join together with other believers. And that's what you guys are doing. I just want to say thank you for that. Absolutely. It's a joy to do this, Mike. And it's a joy to come on shows like yours to be able to talk about these issues, uh, not just from a political perspective, which is the interest of so many in the communications world, but kind of going deeper and uh, looking at these foundational issues. So appreciate the work you're doing as well, brother. Well, thank you. Before we take a break, I do want to just get back to your book for a moment. And we uh, we talked about the fact that you are the co-author of this book, and it is, uh, it's doing so well that the publisher said, what is, is the factor by 11? It's doing 11 times better than they had hoped for. That's a pretty amazing accomplishment right there. Well, that was pretty humbling, I'll admit. We uh, ran into him a couple of weeks ago, asked how it was doing when he told me that number. Um, it, it was just deeply humbling and uh, just grateful. Um, but it, it speaks, Mike, uh, to the fact that these issues related to sexuality and gender, yeah, uh, these are the issues uh, that everyday Christians, uh, you know, you and I, we're, we're all everyday Christians, they just, you know, regular churchgoers. These are the issues that are increasingly, uh, with a level of urgency, uh, being pressed on us, and uh, Christians are asking, how do we respond? And how do we respond well? And so I think that's uh, probably, in large part, what's driving people to the resource. And my prayer is that they find answers in the in the book and the study. Uh, that is helping them uh, be more faithful as they navigate the issue. I'm sure they will. David Clausen is my guest. I'll be back with him for one more segment. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. On the line with me today is David Clausen. I, I met this guy oh, a couple of years back, found out he's from Orlando, works with uh, Tony Perkins and FRC, the Family Research Council out of Washington, D.C., He's there in that uh, part of the country right now. Fall is a beautiful time in D.C. It uh, not so much in January. I'll I'll, uh, I'll take Orlando over D.C. <laughs> any time at all, man. And that's when you need to come back and be on my show up in our studio on I four when that happens. I would love that. Any any <laughs> chance to get away from the swamps usually a good one, but especially 
<laughs> during those cold months. Oh, absolutely. We've been talking about a lot of things that are so important for Christians, the biblical worldview that we all have to have. And, you know, I've, uh, I think what is one, uh, R.C. Sproul said it so well once. He said, uh, you know, it's not a matter of whether or not we're a theologian or not. We are all theologians. The question, he said, is are we a good one or a bad one? And I think much can be said similarly to whether or not our worldview is a good one or a bad one. And we're called by God to trust him. And the real simple way of looking at that is we're called by God to have a biblical worldview. How we look out at the world needs to be informed by scripture, needs to be informed through the obedience to the word, just like any other discipline from the word of God. So that's what we're called to do. And uh, there's probably no better surveyor in the world that's known. His name is almost synonymous with surveys, and that's George Barna. And I know that you've gotten a, a recent survey that's come in uh, from the Barna Institute. And uh, talk about that for a moment. Absolutely. Um, and so George Barna actually is a senior fellow here at FRC. And so I actually uh, got to work with him on the survey. Unbelievable. Uh, uh, a real treat. Now, um, now that just may be the biggest name drop that I've had in a long time on my program right there, but that's, <laughs> that is completely acceptable because you did it, my friend. Oh, well, we did. And it was, it was a joy to work with George and uh, the idea that we had um, that we wanted to do, we wanted to do a survey with him. We had done one back in May of 2021 when we launched our center for biblical worldview, but it was actually uh, an idea I had, which was how many of polls and surveys do most people hear quoted, you know, 80% of evangelicals believe X, Y, or Z, or, you know, 50% of Christians believe this, or, you know, 40% of Christians are going to vote for this guy without any de definition. Um, and, and that's most surveys that you'll hear reported, whether it's Pew or Gallup or other groups that they do great work, but they'll often say, you know, whatever percentage of Christians believe this, but it's based on self-identification. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the person being interviewed tells the pollster they're a Christian. Well, those people might not have been in been to church since their mom dropped them off at Vacation Bible School in 1984, and yet they're marked down as a Christian. Well, obviously that doesn't give us any helpful information. Right. And so we decided to do a survey in the church. We did a nationwide survey on regular churchgoers to even qualify to take our survey. You had to attend church at least monthly. And when we crunched the numbers, 72% of people attended church weekly. The other 28% attended monthly. And we asked about 60 questions related to politics, culture, as well as basic theology. So that's uh, kind of – and by the way, we have like a 16-page summary uh, that you can find at frc.org slash worldview mm -hmm. if anyone's interested in kind of tracking what we found. Wow. And so that – you break it down into the seven real major areas of belief, and can you speak to a few of those? Yeah, absolutely. So these are, this is George coming up with seven cornerstones of the biblical worldview. Uh, he's basically saying after 40 years of doing this kind of research, what are the theological beliefs one must have what, that you need to hold and live out in your life to have a biblical worldview? And I'll just list them real quick. Number one, you have to have an orthodox biblical understanding of who God is. Uh, number two, you have to have an orthodox understanding of human sin. Uh, number three is you have to have a, 
an understanding that the consequences of sin can only be forgiven through Jesus Christ. So kind of the a soteriology, mm-hmm, right. how is one saved? Fourth biblical or fourth cornerstone deals with the Bible, your view on the Bible. Uh, do you believe it's uh, God's word uh, that's true, reliable, and relevant? Or is it just one book among many religious books that can give us understanding? Uh, fifth cornerstone uh, deals with absolute moral truth. Um, and number six uh, deals with the ultimate purpose of human life. So we asked and gave people options. What do you think your ultimate purpose in life is? Um, a lot of different answers for that question. And then number seven, relatedly, we asked people how they best understood what success, excuse me, what success on earth looks like. Mm. Um, so again, God, sin, salvation, Bible, absolute moral truth, purpose in life, success on earth. Yeah. Those represent what we call the seven cornerstones. So if you answer those correctly, um, you have an 83% likelihood of having a biblical worldview. Wow. And then there was a shocking number that if, uh, (laughs) if you didn't answer them correctly, what was that? uh, You told me that earlier. Yeah. If you only have six of the seven, the likelihood that you have a biblical worldview goes down from 83% down to 2%. Isn't that incredible? I mean, it takes all seven of those things. uh, And I would think a lot of people may hear that list and number seven might kind of strike them as strange, you know, their definition of success. What, what does that look like? But yet truth is if we gain, here's what the Bible says. If we gain the whole world, but lose our own soul. What does it profit a man? Yep. You're absolutely right. And so the way we asked that question, Mike, is we said, which of the following do you consider to be the best indicator of a successful life? And the options we gave were uh, fulfilling your potential through the application of your intellect and the scientific method. Another option was achieving your highest possible level of consciousness and experiencing unity with the universe. Another option was experiencing personal happiness. Another one was living a healthy and productive life without economic oppression. Another option was raising healthy and successful children. Another option was being a good person. Another option was gaining widespread respect and a good reputation. And then the other option was consistent obedience to God. And let me just say a lot of those, the things that we listed as indicators of a successful life, some of those are good things. Being a good person, that's a good thing. Raising good healthy thing, yeah. children. Sure. But again, we we asked the question, which of these is the best indicator? And based on what the Bible teaches, consistent obedience to God uh, is the correct answer. And when we actually looked, we kind of crunched the numbers. Only 39% of regular churchgoers said that consistent obedience to God is the best indicator of a successful life. 39% of church cores. Yeah, we should know much better than that, right? We should. And again, like 7% said that raising healthy and successful children is the best indicator of a successful life. Well, you know, to those 7%, I would say it is a good indicator of a successful life. You should strive um, to raise healthy and successful children. Mm-hmm. But if you're putting everything in that basket, if that's your best indicator, well, clearly you've, you're prioritizing things in a way that's out of balance with the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so even what I would say, Mike, is, again, I hope – so we don't have time to tick through all the options on all seven cornerstones. We do present this online for free. 
I hope everyone looks at it. Oh, um, yeah. But again, the idea is if you're a Bible study teacher, even if you're just a parent or grandparent, and you're wanting to make sure that your grandchildren and children are thinking about life and worldview through you know, a biblical lens, go through these options. And you know, again, uh, experiencing personal happiness, that's a good thing to strive for. Eight, but eight per eight percent said that's the best indicator of a successful life. Yeah. Use this survey to explain, hey, some of these are good things, but they're not ultimate things. Yeah. And uh, again, we don't want to just beat up on people. Uh, you know, look how few people are thinking consistently biblically about different issues. Uh, but we want this to be a tool. Uh, you can use this to explain, well, here's the best answer, and how these other answers are fine answers to some level. I'll be honest with you, Mike. Some of these answers are not good answers that nobody should be, you know, <laughs> right. clicking on. Um, but you can explain, hopefully, why that's the case, and use this as a. We use. Let me throw a fancy word out there. That we think this is a good pedagogical tool. Yes. Uh, meaning that this is a, this can be used in teaching, teaching uh, right context um, to to why some of these issues are so crucial to one's fundamental worldview. Well, since you've thrown that out in in our next episode, you can explain superlapsarianism for everyone, and that will really <laughs> go a long way. I had another guest that um, that that brought that uh, term to light in the program, and so I remembered that it was having to do with teaching. That is great. Not everyday language, David, but you're not an everyday kind of guy. <laughs> 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 studying for oh, your PhD, that's... man. So that's just wonderful. Thank you for doing that that survey. Thank you for taking the time because that's what is happening. You're helping to equip people, even with all these incredible resources that you offer for free. It's amazing. Give us the website for where people can find that Barna survey. Yeah, everything's on frc.org forward slash worldview. So you can find the survey there. You can find my little booklets, the one on worldview, the one on life, the one on religious freedom, the one on sexuality. Um, you can find links to other resources. So the, the one to remember is frc.org slash worldview. Well, I hope that people take advantage of that. We've got just a couple of minutes left, David. I want your take on an important election. And it's really kind of like uh, a trial balloon, if you will, for a lot of the left right now to see what's going to happen in Ohio in November, where they've added this, uh, basically, an attempt to codify abortion into law in Ohio. And some people who've looked at it have declared that it is more dangerous than Roe v. Wade was as a ruling from the Supreme Court. Can you weigh in on that for just a couple of minutes? Absolutely. So this is a huge deal, um, not just in Ohio, but around the country um, when it comes to rewriting statutes and, more importantly, state-level constitutions. So at the federal level, Mike, to amend the Constitution, you need an overwhelming majority in the House of Representatives, and you need the U.S. Senate, and three-fifths of the states then have to ratify it. So the Constitution has been amended uh Oh, goodness, I should, it's like 20 some, 23, mm -hmm, 24 times right. or something. Mm -hmm. um, however, in thir 17 states, um, you have a very low threshold to amend the Constitution. And so in the state of Ohio, uh, you can put you – can, if you get enough signatures, you can put before the people in the state uh, a constitutional amendment that will override any existing state law. So in the state of Ohio um, – 
again, they only in Florida, it's 60 percent of the uh, votes are needed to uh, amend the Constitution. So that's good. It, it should be difficult to amend the Constitution. It shouldn't be something that's easy. In Ohio, as well as some other states, you only need 50 percent plus one. And so in Ohio, they, the, the state legislators made a last ditched effort to try to raise the level to amend the Constitution right. to 60 percent. But unfortunately, that effort failed. And so in November, um, on Amendment 1, if 50 percent of the people vote for it, uh, Ohio essentially will enshrine abortion on demand into their constitution. Now, what's fascinating about this, Mike, is Ohio is a very red state. They have a supermajority in the Senate and a supermajority in the House of Representatives. Republicans basically control Columbus. Uh, Mike DeWine who signed a heartbeat bill in his first term, he ran for re-election last year on a very pro-life platform and won. He cruised to re-election. And so the voters of Ohio are pro-life. The issue with this, though, is that out-of-state millionaires and out-of-state billionaires are pouring tens of millions of dollars That's right. uh, into this state and into this race. Um, I have a dear friend who's in the state uh, house. Her name is Jenna Powell. Uh, she was one of the original co-sponsors of the heartbeat bill. We've had many conversations about this, and she's told me uh, that, again, millions of dollars is being poured into advertising, basically saying uh, that if you don't vote in favor of this constitutional amendment, you hate women, you want to see women die, you know, just outlandish lies. Right. But again, uh, we're afraid that all this money and all these lies uh, might be enough to get a pro-life state to, uh, like Ohio, to end up voting for this amendment that would essentially override dozens of state laws. Wow. That is something to be praying for. And maybe you can come back in November on my program and we'll talk about what happened there because it's there. a similar law is uh, b being proposed on our Florida ballot in 2024. Mm -hmm. We got to be ready for it as well. David Clausen, thank you for being with me today on the program. It's, it's always a joy to have you here. Give us the website for Family Research Council one more time. Yeah, frc.org is our site, our main site, and then frc.org forward slash worldview is where you can find all the resources we've talked about. So again, Mike, always a pleasure to be on the show. Looking forward to the next time already. All right, my friend. Thank you so much. And friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.